book of Luke tonight. So Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5 is where we'll be tonight. I'm excited for God's word. I'm so thankful we can turn to it uh, and get in it tonight. Um, It's always special to get into God's word, and I'm thankful for it. But Luke chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 1. It says this, And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had done, uh, and when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished and all that were with him at the draught of the fishes which they had taken. Uh, So was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word tonight. Thank you for its truth. And Lord, I thank you that we've already uh, just felt your sweet spirit already. Uh, We've already uh, praised you. We've already thanked you for the uh, prayer requests that you've already answered. And Lord, I I pray that just one more time you would use me to preach your word. You've called me to do this. And Lord, I pray that you'd equip me tonight. Lord, open up our ears and our hearts. Lord, that uh, uh, your word would go out. Lord, let us apply it to our lives tonight. And if anyone listening to this, Lord, doesn't know you, I pray that they would come to know you before it's too late for salvation. And in Jesus' name we pray. And amen. Amen. So uh, we see that uh, Jesus had called Peter, Simon, Andrew, James, and John there at the shore of Galilee. And uh, a similar story is in Matthew chapter 4. But in that story, it says in verse 22 of chapter 4, And they immediately left the ship and and their father and followed him. So the story sounds similar, but in Matthew, uh, Peter and Andrew, or, or I'm sorry, Peter and Andrew went to the shore uh, with their ship, followed Jesus, uh, and then in Matthew, none of that happened. They were washing their nets. They never got into the ship. Uh, they never did this uh, hymn teaching and all these other things. So I believe these are actually two different, uh, um, two different stories, two different, very similar callings uh, where I believe the first time he calls them, they say they're going to follow him and everything else, uh, but then they're kind of back to fishing, which we see that that happens a couple times in the Bible. Uh, but here's Jesus calling them. So whether you, whether you believe they're separate or not, uh, in this passage, there's a lot more happening than in the Matthew chapter 4 passage. But it starts out, there are so many people on the shore following Jesus, and he wants to teach them. You know, so uh, in those days, didn't have the microphone, didn't have the speaker system, and everything else that we have now. But you know, Jesus didn't need that. 
Yeah, and he didn't do it. It wasn't some miracle to make his voice louder. You know what Jesus did? He would just use his own creation. And there, there's this cove here, you can imagine, with a shoreline. Uh, and you've got uh, a hill behind it. So you got some people on the shore, some people on the hill. And he says, you know what? Let's get in the ship. Let's back it up a little bit. And he's talking in that still water. Uh, that water is amplifying his voice. And so all that could hear that. Yeah, Jesus doesn't need. That's why he would teach on the mountain. He would, you know, the Sermon on the Mount, different places. He could use his own creation to teach from. And I thought, man, wouldn't that have been a blessing to be there and to hear it and to just experience. But I believe one day, I believe one day it's not going to be this old same earth, uh, the same old heaven, but a new heaven and a new earth that we're going to see. And I believe Jesus, uh, I don't know exactly how things will happen, but I wouldn't be surprised if he sets us down somewhere and he uses his own creation to teach uh, something to us. And I say, praise God. I can't wait for that. You know, you think Jesus spent all this time on earth teaching and he won't teach us in heaven. I think he'll show us some things. And I say, praise God for that. But there he's using the mountain, the shoreline, whatever, uh, to create this kind of a natural amphitheater to teach the people. Uh, but uh, after he does this, uh, the story shifts here in verse four. Now, when he had left speaking, so when he was done, he said unto Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. So remember, these are professional fishermen. They've got their own nets. They've got their own boats. They work together. It's like a little fishing company right here that they own. Uh, and they had probably grown up here. It's called Gennesaret here, but it's the same, another word for the Sea of Galilee. They're around the Sea of Galilee, uh, and I'm sure they'd grown up there. They'd lived there. They'd fished there. You know, their, their fathers had probably fished before them. Taught, uh, well, we know, uh, we know one of the fathers was there. Uh, but, you know, they were there, and they knew this place, and they had fished all night. Uh, that's what we learned next is they'd fished all night. They'd worked hard to catch the fish. And remember in this day, they're providing for their families. You know, there, uh, there wasn't a lot of extra. This wasn't a rich place. This wasn't, uh, they weren't rich men. They're literally trying to catch the fish so they can feed their own families, so they can sell some uh, and get what they need. Uh, and uh, so, you know, they had been doing this. This was their job, but they'd fished all night. Right? They were tired. They were frustrated. I'll read verse 5. Simon answering him saying, Master, we have toiled all night and taken nothing. That would have been frustrating, wouldn't it? That would have been frustrating to do all that work uh, and all your labors were in vain. And, yet, and they didn't mind letting Jesus teach from the boat. You know, they were okay with that. But now he's saying, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. And I, I was no, I did some fishing, uh, uh, you know, when I was younger, not a whole lot. But one thing I know is a lot of fishermen, they've got secret spots, don't they? Yeah, they've got a certain spot where they'll go and they say, that's where the fish bite, right? I believe these fishermen were the same way. You think, Peter, I'm sure they had spots. And in fact, there in the Sea of Galilee, there's, there's kind of an area, and they believe it's pretty close to where they were at right here, but there's some natural springs underneath the water. And it, it warms it up a little bit. It turns it up and everything else. And they said that was a great spot to catch fish. So you think about, and it was not too far from the shoreline that, they, uh, that this place was. But whether it was there or somewhere else, uh, Jesus is saying, I don't want you to go to your favorite spot. I want you to go out into the deep, right? And you think about out into the deep, that's not a great place to catch fish. And, and there, it's probably daytime, and it could even be the heat of the day. They tried all night, 
And now that the sun is beating down, it's not a great time to catch fish either. Right. So he's saying, I want you to do all of these things that go against logic uh, in the heat of the day. And remember, they had been washing their nets. So if they go out there again, they're tired. They'd worked all night and got and caught nothing. They'd have to go right back out there, drop the nets down again. And if they pulled up no fish, guess what? They got to start over washing their nets and they're even later getting to sleep and getting to eat and everything else. So you, uh, these tired fishermen would have been even more tired, even more frustrated if they think, this is what they're thinking about. If we do what Jesus is asking them to do, and and with their logic, I guarantee, it's pretty much a guarantee that they're not going to catch anything, right? If you go by every logic of fishermen, uh, they're not going to catch anything. But Simon in verse 5, he says this, Master, we have toiled all night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And I, I preached this before. I preached this passage before, and I thought, my goodness, what great faith this is right here, right? I mean, you're talking about professional fishermen. They knew that Sea of Galilee. It's not very big at all. It's a, I don't remember, it's something like seven miles wide and 11 miles long. It's not that big. So they would have known every square inch of this because their boat, uh, that's all they went. They didn't go anywhere else. Uh, so they would have known what the fish like. They would have known the right time of day. They had the right equipment. They caught nothing last night in spite of doing everything they knew to do. So logically, it would have been the great idea to just pack it up and just try again the next day. Uh, But they said, nevertheless, we'll launch out, we'll drop the net like you said. And I was thinking of that. You know, one uh, passage that I love, I was equating uh, there in the Old Testament in the book of Joshua. Caleb uh, is near the end of his life, uh, and he was one of those original 12 spies that Moses sent into the promised land. And remember, he was one of the ones that came back and said, we can take this. Like God, God is able, even though there's giants, even though there's everything else, God is able to do that. But remember, he was outvoted. Uh, so now he's got to, he's seen the promised land, but now they can't go. They've got to wander in the wilderness for 40 years with the unbelievers as they die off. And then finally, they get to cross over the Red Sea. They get to try to start to take the promised land, you know, Jericho first and then Ai and then the northern kingdoms and southern kingdoms and everything else. So chapter after chapter, Caleb is fighting uh, the enemy, trusting God so that someone else can get their territory. And finally, when you get to Joshua chapter 14, we finally get to the spot that God had promised Caleb uh, for himself. So Joshua 14, 10, this is Caleb's speaking. And now behold, the Lord hath kept me alive. As he said, these 40 and five years, even since the Lord spake this word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness. And and now lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old. Yet as yet I am as strong this day as I was the day that Moses sent me as my strength was then. Even so is my strength now for war, both to go out and to come in. Now, therefore give me this mountain wherefore the Lord spake in that day for thou heardest in that day how the Anakims they were there and that the cities were great and fenced Uh, if so be the Lord will be with me then I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said and I love that story that blesses me ever ever since Brad I'll never forget the day he preached uh, give me this mountain years ago and you think about that story Uh, again Caleb's at the he's nearing the end of his life he's 
fought. Uh, he's had to endure uh, unbelievers and wandering in the wilderness and everything else. And finally, we get, when he gets to his piece of land that God promised to him 45 years prior, what is it? It's a mountain, and on that mountain are giants and walled yeah. cities and everything else. So he's got to fight uphill against giants and with cities with big walls in it. That's the hardest battle you could ever that you could ever make a physical battle in that day there's nothing harder than what he just explained and you would think after him being so faithful to the Lord after him uh, trusting God and everything else you would think that he would just take the easy way out right but no, he says, give me this mountain. He doesn't take the easy way out. He said, God wants me to have it. If God wants me to have it, yeah. God will give it to me. Right. And I thought, that is great faith. So I, for, you know, as, as a long time when I looked at, I equated that story to this story, like this one with Peter, because he's saying, listen, he's saying, we've toiled all night, right? We've tried all night. We've caught nothing. And then he says, nevertheless, Right? And, and, I, and I love that word. It, it's a fancy way of saying but. And here's what happens. You say something, and then you use but or nevertheless, and then you say something else. That lowers what happened before. He says, listen, we've, we've, tr we've fished all night. We've toiled. We've caught nothing. But nevertheless, at thy word, right, we're going to let down the net. And I thought, man, what faith, Right. I say, and look at all this that's going on. What powerful faith. But then I looked again, and I think I missed something. You believe every detail in the Bible is important? Yeah. I hope yeah, so. You, you believe every word in the Bible is important? Yeah. I do. Do you believe every letter in the Bible is important? Ooh, didn't get as many amens there, but look. Let's go back to the passage. Verse 2. And saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them, and they were washing their nets. Right? Verse 4. Now when they had left speaking, he said, Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. Both of those are plural. Verse 5. And Simon answered, saying unto him, Master, we have toiled all night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the nets. No. Net. Singular. Verse 6, and when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. You see what happened here? Jesus said, let them all down, yeah. right? Put them all in the water. Drop every one of those. Even the, all the ones you've been washing, take them all with you. Let's get in the boat. And I want you to drop down all the nets. And Peter said, we've worked all night, right? We've toiled. We've fished all night. We've caught nothing. I'll let down one net. You see that? That's what it says right here. And I thought, man, what? Originally, I thought, what great faith, what great obedience, and everything else. He takes all the facts. He takes all his logic of being a professional fisherman. But really, uh, what he was doing is, I believe, he's humoring Jesus, right? He's saying, you know what, Lord? I, we, we fished all night. We're tired. We've done all this. We haven't caught anything. You're saying to let them all down? No, I'll let one down. We'll just humor you, right? So that way we don't have to wash them all. We'll just wash the one, right? That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying in his obedience. That's what's going on in his mind. He partially obeys the Lord. And then we go back to verse 6. And when they had thus done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. 
So he partially obeys. They catch a huge number of fish, so many fish that they have to call over the other ship, and they both start to sink. That's what it says uh, in the next verse, right? Uh, I didn't copy it down, but, and they beckon their partners in verse 7, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships, so they began to sink. And I was thinking of something. As I was thinking about this, it reminded me of another story in the Old Testament. Second Kings chapter 4, this certain widow comes to Elisha. And her husband had died, and he was one in the school of the prophets there, learning from Elisha. He had died uh, and left, uh, and she had debts and everything else, and they were going to take uh, her, one of her children and make him a slave for, to pay off the debt. And she's crying to Elisha, and she's saying, All I have left is a pot of oil, and those creditors are going to come after me. And Elisha tells her to go borrow uh, vessels from her neighbor. Get every empty vessel you can. And he says, not even... Not a few. Get as many as you can and you bring them in the house. You shut the door and you start uh, pouring that one uh, pot, that one vessel that you have into all the empty ones. And she does that. And then she comes back to him. Okay, I've done what you said. We've got all these full. And she says, you sell all those and you pay off the debt and you live off the rest. That's what uh, the story from 2 Kings chapter 4. And here's what I thought of. She was in that story. She was in complete control of her obedience, right? It, uh, he said, you go out, you borrow those empty vessels. And if she would have only borrowed a few, what would have happened? She shut the door. She'd only filled up a few. He says, you go sell it. She'd only had a few to sell. But the more she brought in, the more God provided, right? The bigger the miracle. That's what we see with her. The more faith, the more obedience meant more oil. And after selling it, not only did she pay off the debt, but she had more to live off of after that, yeah. right? That's what we see in her story. So I thought about this. If God blessed Peter... And what he did, it makes you wonder this question. How many more fish would they have caught if they dropped every net? Wow. Right? Well, you're thinking, well, they caught, Mike, they caught an awful lot, you know, because the net began to break and the, the boats were starting to sink and everything else. So I'd call that a great day. And you're thinking, now, wait a second. He said, put them all down. What would have happened? I guarantee they would have caught more fish. How many more? I don't know. But I, I know in, in their mind, they're thinking, man, this is a great catch that we have. This is wonderful. You know, this is a blessing from God. But then you think about it. If he'd have dropped every net down, he might have been able to retire. Right? Who knows? You believe that? The more nets, the more fish. That tells me something. You see that in all three of these stories. The amount of faith... The amount of obedience, the amount of trust in God is in direct proportion to the, what God gives, right? Yeah. To how he responds. A little bit of faith, a little bit of response from God. That's what we see. And a lot, a full, full faith, full uh, obedience, and you get a full blessing. And I wondered, if God treated that certain widow and Caleb and Peter that way, isn't he going to treat the church that way too? Yeah. Is he changed? Is our God changed? No, he doesn't. Yeah. And I thought about this. Hebrews eleven six. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. We know that the only way we can please God is through faith. But here's the thing. 
we're in control of that obedience, right? We're in control. When he tells us to do something, you know, we can respond with logic and we can, we can humor the Lord or we can partially obey or we can fully obey. It's up to us. Luke eleven twenty eight. But Jesus said, Yea, rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. That logic told Peter that day to just let down one net and he obeyed logic instead of Jesus. And see, this is what the devil, I, I believe this is what the devil wants to convince all of us of, is the same thing he was convincing Peter of that day. Really, he wants us to not obey Jesus at all, right? He wants us to not put it off, you know, come up with an excuse uh, or, or something like that. Say we don't, we're not good enough or whatever. Uh, so that way we do, or we just choose not to do it because we're lazy or we want to do something else or whatever. Uh, but that's Satan's goal. His goal is to get us not to obey God at all. But if he can't do that his next goal is to get us only to partially obey the Lord and that way we think we're doing all right right and that way the Lord blesses it which he blessed Peter but not as much as he would have been you know we the more obedient to Jesus the devil wants us to try to believe the more obedient we are to Jesus Christ the more we lose out right because that's what he was trying to convince them. You're, you're uh, with just letting one net down, you're going to have to deal with washing one net, and, and maybe that net breaks, maybe there's an accident, you know, maybe you lose that net, uh, maybe somebody gets tired or whatever. He's trying to, uh, all these things I'm sure he's putting in Peter's head because he does that with you and I, doesn't he? As soon as the Lord wants us to do something, there's the devil immediately trying to convince us that that's not a good idea and why we're going to lose out and, and that we should do something else, or if we're going to do it, just barely do it, right? You know, just, just serve the Lord as long as, it, uh, as it's uh, still good for you, and as long as you could still fit this in and everything else. And the Lord's saying, no, just trust me. Because in all reality, the devil's a liar. And, and by convincing Peter to only let one net go down instead of all of them, Peter lost out. And see, the devil never wants people to think about that. But I was wondering this. I think sometimes we need to take a survey of our own lives and ask ourselves the same question. You know, we're not fishermen. We don't have boats. We're not on the Sea of Galilee and all these things. But how many times is the Lord say, let down your nets? And we're letting down one net and acting like we're obedient, right? And you're thinking, well, what do you, what do, you do, right? What, what, what do you do if you do what Peter did? Well, Peter initially made a mistake here. He, he, he did not fully follow the Lord, but look down at verse 8. See, uh, or verse 7, we'll go back to that. And they beckoned their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. And verse 8, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished and all that were with him at the drought of fishes which they had taken. You realize Peter right then and there said, You know what? While everyone else is like, man, what a catch. You know, he's looking at himself. He's saying, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner right now. I'm a sinner. I've sinned against you. And I believe this is part of why you see him being called two different times. Because in the first time, you don't see him admitting as he's a sinner. But this time he does. And you know what? When we humble ourselves before the Lord and we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us. And I'm thankful for that. And I think sometimes we just need to do what Peter did and say, you know what, Lord, 
I'm a sinner. I've sinned against you. Because uh, if you tell me to do something and I don't do it or I have to do it, that's a sin. And Lord, help me with that. And help me to give me the boldness to just trust you. And Lord, help me to push away the logic, right? What's the Bible say? Lean not unto thine own understanding, right? And I have to remind myself of that over and over again. But aren't you glad that we serve a Lord that gives another chance? If anyone is an example of another chance, it's Peter. Over and over again, right? Over and over again. At one moment, uh, he's saying, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And then then the next moment, Jesus is saying, get thee behind me, Satan. Right? But does Jesus give up on Peter? No. Even after he denies him before the cross, what happens later on? Remember, you go fast forwarding uh, down. uh, The disciple, uh, Jesus appears. He's risen from the dead. Uh, After he died on the cross for the sins, he rose on the third day. He starts appearing to people and before he appeared to all the disciples he appeared to Peter and I guarantee you know what he said to Peter I guarantee he gave him another chance for forgiveness and he said I forgive you and now he's saying hey you just need to do what I've called you to do and then you fast forward what about a week later and what's Peter say after that I go a fishing right after how many times the Lord said I'm going to make you fishers of men right After all that training, after that one-on-one with three years for Jesus Christ and his ministry, after uh, hearing him teach, watching the miracles, after being called out from fishing uh, uh, to fish men and to spread the gospel and everything else, Peter, after Jesus rose from the dead and he sees the risen Savior, he's like, let's go back to fishing, right? And even in that story, when again they catch nothing, who's at the shore? Jesus Christ. Remember what he says that time? Children, because that's what they were acting like. Have you any meat? He knew. No. No, we haven't caught anything. There's Jesus cooking the the meal right there. What's he tell Peter? Feed my sheep, right? Feed my sheep. Quit going back to these things and just do what I've called you to do. I'm telling you what, Peter... uh, and after that point, I believe it, it really changed him because he went on to do what God called him to do and he ends up dying uh, a martyr's death. And uh, I believe that, uh, man, God used that zeal that he had and sometimes it was misdirected, but that zeal was definitely used to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm thankful that he uses our faults and in spite of our faults, he uses you and I to do his will. We just need to let down the nets instead of the one net. All right, we're going we're gonna to close, uh, open.